Hey, Rowing in Color community. Thank you so much for reaching out with your voices, your stories, and your needs. We are a community and we want to help each other out in this common goal to amplify the voices of color in rowing. For Americans listening to this episode in June 2020, you know how the country feels right now and where this episode is coming from. For those not in the States and listening at another time, let's describe what is going on. We're on our fourth month of coronavirus lockdown measures, at least in New York City. There are now curfews at 8 p.m. and 5 p.m. in other cities. Protests are being organized across the country. Unarmed Black people are being murdered and dehumanized on camera. Looting is happening. Bodegas are boarded up. Cop cars are on fire. And there is an endless footage of un- armed police officers attacking unarmed citizens. With the means we have, we hope these episodes highlight the needs more than ever to be safe for all people, especially Black people, and to change our world of rowing. A lot of you have been reaching out with what to do. So here's to step one. Listen. So being Black in America means trying to find a way to survive educationally, medically, and financially in a system that wasn't created for us. I had to work twice as hard to become an athlete that I am today. And hopefully I have the chance to represent my country on the front stage. But it's difficult to 100% want to represent a country that doesn't respect me because of my skin. A country that has systematically set up Black people to fail in so many ways. And every day I have to watch my culture be glorified. But the very people who glorify it refuse to have a voice on the same side as table as me. And so many Black athletes speak on these injustices and are sometimes told to be silent because we're only seen as like and like entertainment purposes. And so many Black athletes across America play sports for collegiate teams and worry if they can peacefully protest without risking being banned from future competitions. It's super concerning to me that I haven't seen many universities utilize their platforms to shed light onto the social injustices currently occurring in, in America. Personally, if I was a junior in high school at this moment, I would base which college I decided to go on um, based on if the colleges are speaking up and showing solidarity. I personally would like all colleges and athletic administrations to know that if you can recruit us, then you can speak up for us. If you want us, we want you to defend us and accept us for who we are and not use and not just use us for profit or statistics. And a quote that I love by James Baldwin is ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. The particular story that came to mind kind of as we were thinking, you guys were talking about um, just what's been going on in the world. Um, I believe it was maybe, I don't remember the particular incident that had happened, but it definitely, I believe there was very recently, um, there had been a, a death due to police brutality of, of an African-American man, I want to say. I don't remember who in particular. There just have been so many over the years. I don't remember the particular one. I just know it was very jarring, and it was during our spring season, um, and we were about to head off on our spring break trip, um, and this had happened maybe a week or two before we were, we're, we're going to head 
down to um, North Carolina, which is where we did our spring break trips. And I remember getting together with, I think at the time, there were only two other women of color. Well, to be more specific, there were two other black women on the team at the time. Um, my team, in terms of the people of color on the team, was primarily black women, and then there were a few um, Asian American women on the team, and then the rest of my team was white. Um, and in terms of kind of when you were trying to understand what was going on in the world or under, you know debrief things that happened amongst our teammates or with our coaches, it was typically this, the space where you know we found the most kind of common understanding and, and how we processed the events with the other black women. Um, I remember us getting together at the dining hall, I think, one night after practice, after this had happened, and talking about it and talking about being nervous about our spring break trip coming up um, because part of something that we did, so we would go, um, we would travel down to North Carolina and we'd be rowing on the intercoastal waterway. Um, and one thing that we very frequently did is there was a neighborhood pretty near where we were, you know, we, we had our boat set up and our, and our docks. Um, and our coach would often send us, you know, as a warm-up, send us on a, a warm-up run into that neighborhood. Um, and it was an extremely wealthy, extremely white neighborhood in um, North Carolina, South Carolina, sorry, South Carolina. Um, and I just remember feeling some discomfort in knowing that, you know, we would go on these long runs, which are more likely to kind of get separated from the group um, on longer runs where people are kind of getting into their pace. And I remember us talking about, like, our discomfort in finding ourselves in a space where, you know, we really only would be surrounded by our white teammates who, you know, probably wouldn't even have to think twice about it. Running in this neighborhood um, and then running down to the public beach um, there. And it might seem like something simple, but when you are one of the few people of color on your team and you're going on this trip, you're, you're away from maybe your communities of color back at college that serve as kind of a support system or like a, a sounding board when things happen. Um, it can feel really isolating and, and even things that might not be legitimate fears can feel a lot bigger than they are. And um, so I remember us talking about that in, in that dining hall when we got together in the dining hall. And I think one, one of my teammates um, ended up bringing it up to the coaches. So as we had our meeting prior to going on that trip, our coach, I guess, suggested to us, like, hey, why don't you share um, with the rest of the team? So it was a combined meeting with the men's and women's teams, like share with the rest of the team, you know, why this matters to you and, you know, um, what are your thoughts? And, you know, we put something together, the three of us, and we got up and we talked to our teammates. And I felt like it was important, but it also felt really uncomfortable. Um, it felt uncomfortable for it to be the three of us staring back at a bunch of um, our white teammates and having to explain to them why we might be concerned or we might be scared or we might um, just feel a different type of discomfort than they might doing things that seem very mundane, like running through a neighborhood or getting on an earth or getting in a boat. Um, and I remember feeling weird after that. Um, and 
you know, that was only one of many different events, you know, that you get accustomed to doing these things with your teammates and they don't have to think twice about it. Um, and at times, you know, you can be lucky enough to not have to think twice about it too, but then you have these moments where you're like, I don't look like my teammates and I might experience a reality that's very different than my teammates. And how do I share that with them? And if I do decide to share that with them, like, will they, will they get it? Will they be sympathetic to me? Will they be gentle with me? You know, um, would they be the type of people that if something were to happen, would they, would they stand up for me? Um, and like, while they're your teammates and you would 100% have their back, it's easy to wonder whether they would have yours. Uh, I was in the secure parking area of our TV station, uh, and some people haven't been at the station since March. So this engineer, who I'm a part of the engineering department, did not recognize me and called APD because apparently people have been getting into the parking lot, damaging stuff, what have you. Of course, I'm not doing any of this because I'm on the phone waiting to go into the building. So by the sheer fact of my color, that was of question to this person, apparently. Although they didn't have the nerve to come and ask me, are you supposed to be in here or whatever? So when APD, Albuquerque police, you know, pull up, uh, you know, I knew immediately what was going on, uh, immediately, because I saw the look on the guy's face and I was like, oh, this is not a problem. And I told my cousin who I was talking to, I was like, look, I got to go. I got to handle this, you know, before eight, before I get handled. And, you know, I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to go to my back pocket and get my press credentials. And I did. And they were almost more upset than I was for the fact that someone called on them to question me, which was interesting. And I could see off in the distance the person that I believe that did it looked surprised when I started walking back toward the building and using my security card to get through secure doors. Like, I, yes, I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, you know, I go back to my control room because I work in master control and it dawned on me like that could have gone so many different ways sideways. So now, I don't go out to the parking lot to talk on the phone. You know, I have to find someplace else to have a private conversation on my own break time. So talk about second guessing, you know, it, it's, it's a constant. Because even when I leave my residence, you know, right now we're in the middle of pandemic and protesting. So I have, you know, it's reminiscent of, I guess, the slavery days where someone could say, where are your papers to be traveling? And I got to tell you, that that is heartbreaking because all I'm trying to do is go to work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that every, every day that I leave my sister's safe house is a continuous battle of second guessing. Like, what can I do? What, what does it look crazy? You know, I'm thinking being on a, being on a freaking iPhone in a parking lot in work clothes, you know, no 
nothing looking crazy on me or anything of that nature, yet I still get questioned. So I used to love going to work and now I just, you know, it's a means to an end at this point. Yeah. So, oh God. Yeah, that's disgusting. And that was and that was that was the Friday before Memorial Day. So I have been rowing for seven years. Um, this was my seventh year. Um, but, but before that, I have been an athlete for the majority of my life. Um, I played soccer. I played volleyball, um, tennis, track. I did anything that I could growing up. Um, and that's a privilege that I'm very grateful for. And I recognize that. Um, but that being said, it was always very hard for me to grow up in an environment where I didn't see people that looked like me. Um, and I'm not unfamiliar with the internal dilemma that kind of comes with feeling like I've been tokenized. Um, and none of that changed when I started rowing in high school. Um, I think that there is a lack of diversity in the sport of rowing that a lot of people are silent about, um, and I think that this must change. Um, it's one thing for us to invite people of color into this sport, but there are so many of us that don't feel comfortable and don't feel welcome enough to stay, um, and that's where the problem is. Um, more conversations need to be happening, um, and there needs to be more accessibility of rowing to be taking, t being taken place. Um, it's a racialized space, un undeniably, and it's not easy to talk about, but it's necessary. Um, I think we need to abandon this idea that sports are not political, that this is not a political space, because the reality of it is... I'm still black at practice. I cannot step out of my skin when I come to practice. Um, and when I'm at practice, I don't just leave behind the struggles that I face because I'm black. Um, and I think that the rowing community has a lot of power that could be used to uplift a lot of individuals from different backgrounds, but that's not the case right now. And I'm hopeful, I have optimism that we can change this, um, but that's not going to happen without the collective energy of everybody. Um, there were a couple of really um, important incidences that happened during my rowing career. Um, that kind of just, you know, maybe think twice about what I was doing um, in regards to, to rowing in general. My senior year, um, I was on my way to practice in the morning with one of my friends, and it was, you know, I want to say 5 o'clock in the morning, right, and we're running late, so of course I was speeding a little bit, and um, I got pulled over by a cop, 
And, you know, my heart just sank just because, you know, being a person of color, I've always been worried about um, those authoritative figures, you know, from what I've seen through everything going on in the world. Um, and so when I got pulled over, the cop immediately accused me of drunk driving, didn't believe that, you know, I was part of a rowing team. There's no way um, a brown kid would be part of such a white sport. He said um, something along those lines to me. Um, ultimately, like, he, he let me off um, and said, just get to practice safely. But it was um, a really scary moment for me, uh, just, you know, being in the car and on my way to practice thinking, you know, I might be here for a while or might not even make it to practice or, or home or, or whatever. Um, after that, during my, I think my second year coaching, um, we were flying to Oregon for the regatta and um, <clears throat> I was the only person of color uh, on our team um, and also being a coach. So I always try to take extra precautions, just making sure my kids are safe. But when we were, um, flying out of Phoenix, I uh, was stopped through TSA and the TSA agents, uh, you know, went through all of my bags and then spent about 30 minutes, you know, asking me all these questions about the Cox box that one of my coxswains um, put through the, the TSA scanner right before me. And, you know, they're you know, insinuating that, you know, it was a bomb and I was, you know, getting really nervous and sweaty. I didn't know how to react. So it was just like kind of a blurred moment. And, you know, almost every time I fly, you know, regardless if I'm TSA pre-check or not, I do get randomly selected. And it's just really a terrible feeling. And it's also just embarrassing for me as a coach to, you know, have to go through that and have my kids watch me go through that. Okay, well, I think the biggest takeaway from this conversation, for me and hopefully for whoever listens, is that within the rowing community, teammates are teammates, regardless of color, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation. And what I mean by that is that you should, you should you know, judge and trust your teammate based on how they act as a teammate, not as who they are outside of you know, your team or outside of your organization, but, you know, simply on what they bring to your life as a teammate and hopefully it's positivity and, and a willingness to just get better, not only as an individual, but as a collective. I have found a lot of love and joy being a coxswain, but it's also um, made me realize the staggering difference in which uh, the opportunities that white athletes are provided in the sport compared to athletes of color. Um, you know, I can easily say that in the almost nine years that I have been coxing, I have never once coxed a black athlete. I have oftentimes been the only person of color on my team. And, you know, in college, there were always these little things that came up, um, and I have the, um, I guess, the advantage of being white passing in this sport. Um, so a lot of the times it would be, 
people would meet my parents or they'd, you know, I'd answer a call in Spanish, something like that. And be like, oh, well, you're pretty much white, right? Or you look white. No. And uh, pretty much white is not a compliment, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, You know, it was always those little things that growing up, I just never really saw anything wrong with that. Um, and then as I continued into adulthood and continued to see those sort of things perpetuated, not only to me, but to other athletes that I was around, um, it really made me sit back and realize this is a sport that really favors the wealthy white athlete. Um, and I think a lot of that and a lot of this inequality can be traced back to shortcomings from our national governing body of the sport, U.S. rowing. I think that now, especially more than ever, U.S. rowing needs to be stepping up. They should have stepped up years ago. They should have come into the game stepped up. Uh, This is their game to step up to. People keep saying, you know, oh, well, there's no barrier, you know, whatever. People can join the sport if they want. There's nothing stopping them. There's no sign saying no people of color in the sport. But it's not a matter of just saying we've got an open door, walk through it. We really need to be finding ways to boost people up in this sport and bring people into the light instead of just saying the light's there, go ahead and walk up to it if you want to. Um... You know, there are so many talented athletes and strong people of color out there that I know would be awesome rowers, but they look at the sport and they see that nobody else looks like them. Um, They see a governing body that hasn't taken the time to tell them that they're important to the sport. Um, As a former U.S. rowing employee, I can say firsthand that the organization cares about looking diverse. They love that little diversity buzzword. We're diverse. We're inclusive. Um, you know, I took photos. I took videos um, for two years working there. And there was a lot of, hey, that college team boat, you know, stroke seat's black. Can you go get some pictures? Uh, like, let's make sure that we get pictures of that. Um you know, or putting together uh, like brochures and advertisements, posters, and being told, let's uh, make sure that it looks more diverse, when it was impossible to make sure it looked more diverse because I had maybe a small handful of athletes of color to choose from, from photos. And I always just felt this immense guilt, like I'm just using these athletes as our poster child as we continue to give money and give funding and give the light and the praise and the love to a bunch of upper-class white athletes. Um, But we plug in a photo and we pat ourselves on the back and say, there we go, we're diverse, this is fine. Um, You know, and I, I think that there definitely needs to be more action taken by U.S. Rowing, I would love to see U.S. Rowing step up and create a task force, diversity and inclusion task force um, of people who are really dedicated to making this sport more diverse. Because 
you know, as much as we like to put the responsibility on sport clubs, nothing's going to change unless U.S. rowing strongly backs this. They are the voice of the sport. Um, They have a huge audience, and I would really love to see them making productive changes to including and supporting athletes of color.